We've been in ministry for 20 years now, and I think the longer you are in ministry, the more you appreciate longevity in ministry. And I think uh, leaders who have been serving this city for so long, you guys house actually our Life Tauranga campus here through the week. And Pastor Logan was telling me that these guys are just a mum and dad to the city, love pastors, and just want to extend our love to you as well with the passing of Mary to all the Hood family. And know it's a very special time, but knowing that she is celebrating in heaven with our Savior, no more pain, no more worries. Of course, we miss her, but how incredible that we have scripture, we have faith to stand on. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because we're living for eternal purposes and eternal words. So Jesus, we invite you here today. And God, I pray that you would take this word and you would make it yours. God, I thank you that it's not about me speaking today, but it's about you moving in our lives. So I just pray, God, that you would move, that you would speak, that you would do what only you can do, that you would move hearts, that you would shift things. God, we don't want to come to church to go through the routine of church. We want to be changed by you. God, we want you to speak, shape us, reveal things to us. So God, we pray for your revelation today, not my revelation, your revelation to the heart hit every one of our hearts. God, when it comes time to respond to the end, God, I pray that there'd be an openness, God, to hear from you, to respond to what you're asking us to step into. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. You can take your seat. Well, from the age of five, I have just loved God's house. I grew up on a dairy farm on Mamarua, Waitakaruru. And then when I was age 15, we moved into Thames. And so I grew up as a young girl in a small country church. And I remember being five years old, just looking at the pastor's wife who used to play keys in church and just thinking, wow, imagine being able to play keys in church. Like imagine being able to be a pastor's wife. Like how awesome that would be. And I just, I loved God's house from such a young girl and have just continued that love because there is nothing like God's house, nothing like God's house where we can come together. We can be encouraged in our faith. We can live for what matters for eternity. We can have a heaven purpose over our lives that we can come and join together in faith, stand and believe for God's promises over our lives. And as a church, we've been believing for our senior Pastor, Pastor Paul, he uh, almost two years ago now was given a death sentence pretty much. He was told you've got stage four uh, brain tumor. You've got three tumors in your brain. One of those will kill you. You have about three months to live. And so as a church, we stood on the word of God and we said, yeah, doctors have said one thing, but we have a but God. We have a but God promise that we can stand on. And the amazing, it's been miracle after miracle after miracle. Two years later, there is now no cancer in his brain whatsoever. And we're continuing to stand for the cancer that is dormant at the moment in the rest of his body to be completely gone. And God has just done miracle after miracle. What doctors said was three months. It's now been two years and he is a walking miracle. And so we've just been in this season as a church. If you know what, standing for the miraculous, we've had another one of our couples in Melbourne, just a phenomenal couple. And they were told they would never have children because she had a kidney disorder and they 
they miraculously fell pregnant and doctors said to him, you have to abort this baby because there's no way because of your condition that you'll be able to carry it through the 37 weeks. The baby will be impacted. Your life will be threatened. But they just stood on God's word that our God is able. Our God is the but God. And the man says it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So they stood on scripture, believing that God was able. They had one of the first scans that said the baby has no heart and lungs. You have to abort. So four times the abortion room was booked for them to go to. And every time they said, no, we're believing for a God miracle here. A long story short, she went to full 37 weeks gestation, a full term pregnancy. The baby was born completely healthy, had to have one heart operation, but completely healthy. And the mother, it's the first um, woman with this type of disorder that Royal, Ch- Royal Hospital, which was one of the major hospitals in Melbourne, has ever seen someone with that disorder go full term in their pregnancy and a child actually born. The little girl's face was their, their campaign for all of their fundraising over Easter. It's been all over the newspapers in Melbourne City, this incredible miracle of what's happened. So our God is able. Our God is a but... God, miracle worker. Matthew 19 verse 26, Jesus looked at them. With a man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Psalm 73 verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph speaking, he said, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done. The saving of many lives. We are people that are called to stand on a but God promise that no matter what we are facing, there is a promise in the word of God that we can stand on. You may be facing financial hardship. Our God says, I am your provider. You may be standing, going through a season where emotionally it's tough. He says, I am the one who is close to the brokenhearted. You may be needing healing. He is the one that says, I am your healer. That whatever we go through, we have a God who is a but God, a God who's able to do the impossible. And I love what Romans 8 verse, sorry, 4 verse 18 to 24 says, and Paul is talking about Abraham, our father of the faith. And he says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should but one day become the father of many nations, as he'd been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Don't you love the Bible sometimes? It's just brutal, just blatant. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, that it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord. I love that. Like Abraham, we are called to be people who are conviction carriers. We are called to be people fully convinced No matter what we see with our natural eye, we are people who are called to stand on the promises of God, fully convinced. So what I want to talk about today is being conviction carriers. 
being people of conviction. See, the quality of conviction is showing that one is firmly convinced of what one believes or what one says. Someone who is firmly convinced. See, our faith in Jesus Christ is not meant to be like the spare room in our house that we go to when we really need it. The spare room that's there if the need arises. No, our relationship with Jesus is meant to be a foundation that our lives are built upon, that affects the way we talk, the way we see, the way we speak, what we believe for. It's meant to impact every single part of our lives. And if I'm to be honest, I feel like one of the agendas of the enemy, especially over the past few years, has been to slowly chip away at our conviction. Started with lockdowns. Oh, the church isn't that important. It's not essential to me as a church. And so it just starts to chip away at that, hey, the importance of God's house. Then when we can finally come back together, there's vaccine passports and different things. And so there's a temptation to fight each other rather than stand for unity. And then we live in a society today that's so about being PC, so about not, you know, saying what the truth is, but it's about my truth. And it chips away at our conviction that Jesus is the hope of the world. That as people, we're called to reveal the wonder of Jesus. And it slowly chips away at our conviction. And we end up living this lukewarm Christianity that Jesus has never called us to live. He's called us to be people of strong conviction. See, I love what 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 says, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. That's why we're people called to carry deep conviction because it reveals Jesus to the world around us. Hey, look at them. They've got all this stuff going on around them, yet they are unwaving. They have a hope that is beyond this world. Remember recently at one of our services, we had a community-focused service. We run Community Kitchen where we feed about 300 people every week um, a meal, a sit-down meal. And we had this beautiful lady come from the community. She looked after one of our, um, our community locations that we would go into and give the food to, to people who need it. And so she came along to one of our services. She's never known Christianity, never heard about Jesus, and to a lot of other spiritual things. And so we honor her. And then through the service, she ends up making a decision for Jesus, putting up her hand and saying, hey, I need Jesus. I want to follow the God that you guys follow. And when I came down from the service, she said to me, man, you guys, you're fully convinced. Like this isn't something that you just kind of believe in. This isn't, just, this isn't just something that's there as an option. No, you're fully convinced. She was like, it won me over. And she's been in church every single Sunday since that point. It's been 18 months later. She's been water baptized, Holy Spirit baptized. She's been through our freedom course. She's now wanting to do Alpha in the community. She's seen, she's seen her husband saved. She's seen her grandkids saved. She's seen her community come every single week. 
But it starts with that conviction that we live with. We're called to reveal Jesus to people. See, I love that Jesus exemplified this when he was here on this earth. He was a man of deep conviction. It says in Luke 2, verse 41 to 49, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning the home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. I just want to take a moment here for all us parents, just to say how great this moment is that it was written in the Word of God. Like if Jesus' parents can lose him for three days, it just makes you feel so much better about your own parenting. Every time I failed, I'm like, well, God, your parents lost you for three days. It's really not that bad. And then after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at understanding his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he said, why were you searching for, for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That term, I had to be. There was nowhere else I could be found. I had to be here. I had to be about my father's business. I had to be about my father's house. Now, I play hide and seek with my little boy, Ezekiel. But it's an awesome game because he plays in the same, he hides in the same place every single time. And I can just take my time finding him, just do a little bit of housework while he waits. But he'll yell out from his hiding place, Mom! Come and find me. Come and find me, mom. It's always under his hope, uh, hope, hope's bed, his sister's bed. Mom, come and find me. And there's this expectation that he will be found. Mom, this is where you'll find me. I'm here. And Jesus is saying with his mom, Mom, why were you searching for me anywhere else? This is where you're going to find me. He was the age of 12. That was the age that Jewish boys would start to step into their manhood. So he was making a line in the sand as a young man. I'm stepping into doing my father's will, my father's business. And the encouragement for us is do we live with that kind of conviction? That we're about our father's business, about our father's house. Because there's no other cause that we can live for that's greater. Remember being the age about 10 or 11, and I had grown up in a Christian family. My parents loved Jesus with everything they had. But I got to the stage where I was like, well, man, if this God thing is real, I should really find out for myself. Like, I, I, like if, if this heaven, hell, like when we pass away from this life, the Bible says this is just a vapor and we head into eternity, that this is so the natural world that we see is going to be passed away and we will be stepping into eternity. If this is real, it deserves everything. It deserves every part of me. And so I locked myself in my, in my bedroom as a young girl and I said, well, God, if you're real, I want to meet with you. And the first Sunday afternoon, nothing happened. I'm like, God, this isn't looking good. The second Sunday afternoon, again, nothing happened. But the third Sunday afternoon, I remember it's this little girl being at the end of my bed reading my Bible and this presence coming into my room. 
And it was this love that I had never felt before. I remember just weeping as I experienced the love of my Heavenly Father. I had been so loved as a little girl. I had amazing parents, but nothing compared to this love. This love, I was overwhelmed, just weeping for about an hour in his presence, just being overcome by the magnificence of a God that saw me, a God that loved me, a God that was with me, a God that was never going to fail me. And honestly, from that point on, I've been like, well, God, you're real. And because you're real, you deserve everything. If this is real, this isn't just games we're playing. This isn't just a religion we believe in. It deserves my devotion. It deserves every single part of me. And you know what? We've got to be like that with our faith, fully convinced. Guys, if this is real, sometimes we kind of live with our faith just in the background there when we kind of need it. But if this is real, it deserves every part of our lives. It deserves every part of who we are because of how incredible our God is. You know, it's so easy to live in the world that we live in today that demands so much of us. It's a kid's sport. There's education. There's our work. Social media puts demands on us. There's all these demands all around us. And it can be so easy to live based on the conviction of others around us, the world around us, that we miss living based on a God conviction. Are we living based on a God conviction? Because a God conviction says like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, when they were asked by the world to bow before the altar that was before them, they said, no, we will not do that. Our God will save us even if he doesn't. We're not going to worship because we know who our God is. See, their conviction was far more than just an outcome. So often our faith is about an outcome that we want from God. But our faith has got to be far deeper than that. It's actually about who Jesus is. It's a fact that we serve the God of all gods. We serve the Lord of all lords. We serve the one that created us with, with his breath. We serve the king that holds the world in his hands. We don't serve him because he works for us. He does what we want. We serve him because he is God. He is Lord. He is worth trusting. He is worth depending on. He is the one that created us. So, so God, you've got my everything. That's why we serve him. That's why we devote ourselves to him. So I just want to quickly talk about being carriers of a God conviction and what that means, how we do that. And the first thing is that we cement ourselves in the word. Now, when Jesus was found at the temple, he was found in the word. He was found in the word of God. And I love what John 15 verse 7, Jesus speaking to disciples, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. It can be so easy for our lives to be found in people pleasing, found in our feelings, found in our emotions, found in our connection with others, found in social media, rather than being found in the Word of God. The Word of God is my foundation. The Word of God is what I come back to all the time. 
The Word of God is what directs me. It's what lights my way forward. The Word of God is what I remain in. It's what I hold on to no matter what comes my way. His Word is my anchor. His Word is my truth. His, His Word is what centers me. See, I love what Romans 4 verse 21 says about Abraham. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on all that he had said he held on to the word of God with everything. Do we hold on to the word of God like that? Because the word of God allows us to step into the promise of God. Now, when we moved to Australia, it was uh, almost 10 years ago now, God led us to miraculously buy a section and build our own home, which was incredible because the first week we got asked to go to Melbourne, we had brought our first home here in New Zealand. So we sold that and moved and we were able to step into this incredible provision that God gave us there. And we were, our house was just down the road from where this place, this new place of ours was being built. And so I would pass it every day. And, and one day I drove past and I decided to pop in and see them. And I walk in and they're starting to paint my walls blue. And I'm like, guys, what is going on? I did not ask or request the walls to be painted blue. And it was, you know, one of those homes where they put out a lot of similar kind of homes. So you went and you chose your colors based on a little sample. And I was like, that is not the sample that I chose. And the guy who was heading it all, he was like, yes, you did. The code says this. The code is for this color. I thought it was a little weird that you wanted blue all over your house. Like this is every single room is painted blue. He he was like, I thought it was a little weird, but hey, that's what you chose. I'm like, I did not choose blue, but he's convinced. He's like, no, you did. He had like eight guys doing the walls. He's like, I'm not stopping. And I'm like, I remember that I had the sample still that I chose back at our other place. So I went and got the sample, this little puppy here, it's gone, been through the wash a little bit, but this is all I had. I had this little sample and I brought it to him and I'm like, dude, I did not choose blue. This is the sample of the color that I chose. And I put it up next to the wall and I was like, this is not what I chose. He let off a few words that I can't say in church. So angry, but we realized that the codes had been changed. So the code was what it was, was right, but the color had been changed. And because of this little piece of paper, It was the proof that I needed to make sure my house wasn't painted blue. Sometimes in life, it can feel like the Word of God is this little promise that we have in the midst of everything that's going on in our lives. The Word of God is this little promise that I have in the midst of everything going on. But when you hold on to the Word of God, you're able to see things turn around because it's truth. This is what is truth. The Word of God is what is truth in our lives. So when the enemy comes and he tries to paint our house in fear, We've got the word of God that says, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. When the enemy tries to paint our house with hopelessness, we've got the word of God to stand on that says, he is the one that breathes hope. On the, and he's the author and the perfecter of my faith. We have God's word to stand on. It is the truth we need to light our way forward. It is the identity we need, the security that we need. His truth is what builds our conviction. How much? are we holding on to the Word of God? The second thing in being carriers of a God conviction is we've got to count the cost. 
got to count the cost. From a young age, Jesus, he counted the cost. 12-year-old boys would usually be found doing other things, not at the temple, but he was found at the temple because he counted the cost. It says in Luke 14, verse 28 to 33, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So challenging. I honestly tried to find a softer version. I looked up other translations, trying to find if, it, if there was a softer translation. There's not. It's, it's just, it just says what it is. If you do not give everything, you cannot be my disciple. And Jesus isn't saying that we give up everything to have nothing. But he's saying that every part of your life is worthy of me. Your marriage, your kids, your work, your study, your friendships. Every part, I'm looking for it to be a living sacrifice, a way for you to me to follow me, worship me, that our bodies are living sacrifice, that we worship with our lives that we live, that every part is worthy of him. See, I love what it says in Matthew 10 verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. God doesn't ask us just to give up our lives to follow him so that he ruins our lives. He asks it of us that we enter true life. So we're not just distracted by everything going on around us that we miss actually what this life is all about. My parents are phenomenal examples of people that have just given their life to Jesus. We were five kids in our family and mum and dad, um, dad was obviously a dairy farmer, and, but they were so committed to church, so committed to loving Jesus in every part of their lives. And I remember dad waking up at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning just to get the cows all milked so that we could get to church. And getting to church was manic. It was crazy. Kids fighting everywhere. We had a hearse. Uh, we used to be a hearse, our car. So everyone would fight so they weren't in the back seat because that's where the coffins used to be. Nobody wanted to be in the back seat. It was carnage. It was crazy. Hair being pulled. But there was just this devotion to God's house. And it wasn't this devotion out of I have to obligation, but it was a devotion about from what Jesus had done. See, my dad had his life radically turned around by Jesus. He had an incredibly broken past. My grandma was raped one night at a party, and she had dad as a product of that rape. And But they grew up in a society in those days where none of those things were talked about. So my dad was the only kid in his entire school that didn't have a dad. So he was known as the scum boy, known as the one that didn't have a dad. No one would associate with him until a little eight-year-old boy looked after him and his mum invited him in for milk and cookies. And through that relationship, the mum invited my grandma, a single mum that everybody else rejected, invited her into her home. And 
showed her the goodness of Jesus. And through that, my grandma discovered the wonder of Jesus. And through that, years later, my dad made a decision to follow Jesus. But years of brokenness. And so Jesus came and just radically met him. And then mom grew up in an atheist family, again, incredibly broken. But Jesus radically met her. So every part of their lives, it's just out of this devotion because Jesus is worth it. They knew what he had saved them from. We can never leave that place where Jesus and from where Jesus has saved us. We are are all once were dead people living in sin, going to hell, and Jesus saved us. He has given us eternity. He's given us freedom. He's given us life. He's given us peace. May we never forget what we have been saved from. Because out of that posture, we serve him with this, God, you're worthy. Like it says in Matthew 10, verse 38, whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Not worthy of me because you don't realize what I've saved you from. You don't realize how good I am. You don't realize what I've got for you. I love what Matthew Henry says. And he says this, almost 300 years after his death, his commentary on the Bible has still been used, a phenomenal man. But on his deathbed, he said to a friend, you've been used to take notice of the sayings of dying men, and this is mine, that a life spent in the service of God and communion with him is the most pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. Because when you're in those last days, I know I've lived for what matters. I know I've given my life to following Jesus because that's what matters. How beautiful is our God? And the last thing, if I could have keys up, please. The last thing is being, being carriers of a God conviction. So we've got to clean out the clutter. Clean out the clutter. See, conviction comes because we have clarity. So often in life, there's stuff that happens in our world, clutter that fills our heart, that robs our clarity. Stuff like disappointment, anger at God, a lack of understanding, a lack of trust, doubt, insecurities, distractions, temptations. Other things get into our heart and it robs us of clarity. And as Christians, we've got to be people like the Word of God says that above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. We've got to be people that continually clean out our heart clutter, continually make sure we've got that motivation, that purity of Jesus, I love you. And out of that, I'm going to love your people and live a life that follows you. But we can't do that when we've got clutter in our hearts. See, I love... I love cleaning. Absolutely love cleaning. Hate cooking. Um, my kids have five meals on rotation every single week and they have to live with it because I don't enjoy cooking, but I love cleaning. And so when it comes to, you know, cleaning and spring cleaning, I love to clean out clutter. And the one of the things when I clean out clutter is I ask myself, is this adding to my life? If it's not adding to my life, it doesn't get a place. And we've got to do that when it comes to our heart at times. 
Is this attitude? Is this adding to my life? Is this offense? Is it adding to my life? Is this weight of what I don't understand that I keep wrestling with? Is this adding to my life? Is this doubt? Is it adding? Is this temptation that I just keep being faced with? That I don't open myself up to anybody else that can help me? Is that adding to my life? Or is it cluttering in? Is it filling my life with stuff that isn't going to lead me into everything God has for me? See, we are the ones that are guardians of our own heart. We are the ones that are responsible first and foremost for what gets into our heart. Now, when we were living in New Zealand, we had a home out in, uh, in Henderson and it was this uh, awesome home. And one night I had had a bunch of girls around and Craig was out with the boys. And at the end of the night, the girls had just gone and I went into our backyard to put some rubbish out and our back dark backyard was completely pitch black. It had these high fences that you had to scale to get to it. And as I walked out the back, I opened the door, walked out, put rubbish in the bin and walked back around. And as I turned back around, there was this huge guy just standing between me and the door to get back in the house and he had a hoodie over his face and he was just giggling. And I thought to myself in that moment, oh my gosh, my worst nightmare is about to happen. And I always thought in that moment, I wonder what I would do. Do you ever have those moments where you you think about scenarios and you're like, I wonder how I would react. And I always thought, to be honest, that I would just freeze and not be able to know what to do. But it was the exact opposite that happened. It was just this fight that came on me. I just screamed at him. I'm like, what are you doing here? This is my house. And he just kind of like went like that. He's like, what is this crazy lady screaming at me? And I was able to run past him locked the house. I was looking for knives. I would have done anything. I would have castrated him. I would have done whatever, whatever was needed because the sense came up. This is my house. You don't get to touch this house. This is my territory. And you know what? When it comes to our heart, we've got to have the same kind of diligence. Enemy, you don't get to touch my heart with those thoughts, with that attitude, with that temptation, with that offense, with that distraction, with that way of thinking. Enemy, you don't get to touch my heart because I am the property of Jesus Christ. I am secured by Him. He has me. I'm a follower of Jesus. He deserves every single part of me. He is worthy of my devotion. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of my heart. So I'm going to give Him everything because this is my house. We've got to have that kind of tenacity to guard our house, to guard our lives. Love what Philippians 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We've got to keep our heart with all diligence. So what I would love to do today is open up this ministry time, open up this altar. If you're just here and you're like, you know what? I know that there's just some clutter that I need to deal with. We all need times that we need to deal with clutter. It's not a bad thing. I have moments all the time. It's like, God, you need to take this. You need to deal with this in my life. I can't do this on my own. That's the incredible thing about the Holy Spirit. He comes, He's our helper. He helps us. Or maybe you just know you're living in a place where you just haven't got that same conviction you once had. 
Have I got that same faith maybe? And I love again the Word of God. It says He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, that He is the one that breathes faith on the inside of us, that stirs us afresh. And they're just saying today, you know what? I just want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit just to breathe faith, to breathe fresh conviction so that I can be a carrier of a God conviction in a new way. So why don't we stand to our feet? God, right now, I pray that you would arrest our hearts, that right now, Holy Spirit, you would do a really deep work. That God, any areas in our life that is robbing our conviction, God, that right now we'd be vulnerable and open with you and prepared to to allow you to touch those areas. God, I pray for any person that is just needing a fresh touch of your presence, a fresh conviction. I just pray that you'd breathe upon them right now, Holy Spirit, and that you would fill them. My God, right now, Holy Spirit, would you move? I just pray there'd be a boldness on people to respond. God, a vulnerability to respond. And God, I thank you that as we respond with that openness, God, you breathe upon it in Jesus' name.